Hello and welcome to Everything I Did Wrong as a Church Planter, a million part series. My name is Logan Wolf, and I'm coming to you from my office in Provo, Utah. My wife and I have lived here for more than 12 years now as church planters, and during that time, our ministry has taken all different uh, forms uh, and and shapes and sizes. Uh, we started as a mobile church meeting in the conference center of a hotel. I did that for five years before navigating a church merger and becoming multi-site overnight with buildings and staff in two different counties. And then after nearly four years of multi-site ministry, we have offloaded that structure, phased out that staff, and we have been functioning for more than four years now uh, as a network of house churches across the state of Utah and now spilling out even beyond um, our own state. And I've been looking back on those various seasons of ministry and our life during those seasons and reflecting on what I would do differently if I were pursuing some of those same courses of action, as well as just what I would do differently if I knew what I know now, uh, just over the over uh, the years of experience. And I pretty much would do everything different. All of it, all of it, I would do differently. Uh, I have had the, the fortune to connect with a couple other brothers here recently who have had similar experiences with me. And I'm joined by one of them today, my friend, Doug Lane, who actually lives in Provo, Utah as well. And he is going to uh, unpack for us some of his um, own faith journey and his transition into church planting, what that looked like, and actually what that looks like now. And I'm hoping this experience will be very encouraging and enlightening to you as you are either preparing to uh, minister and serve uh, in the city you feel God has called you to, or as you're already there, maybe you've already arrived. And hopefully this will be a conversation to stir you and maybe spare you some of the frustration and the heartache and the pain that church planting can uh, dole out. So Doug, how are you, sir? I'm great, Logan. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. Why don't uh, just uh, before we even get into the church planting portion of your story, which I know there's a lot there to kind of sift through, uh, just introduce yourself and where you've been and how you've landed. Again, you were both sitting in in Provo right now. So how did you land here? Well, um, I'll start with this. Uh, Utah was on my list of places I was never going to go. Never give God an ultimatum. (laughs) Start with that. (laughs) Uh, I was I was raised in South Texas as a, as a Navy brat. My father was a, a naval officer, so naturally I went into the Army. Um, a little bit of rebellion, I think, right away. Um, went into the to the Army as a saxophonist of all things. I was a musician in the military, and um, that that led me to uh, spending my time in uh, Kuwait and Iraq in two thousand three and two thousand four where um, I sat there with a Bible because I was bored (laughs) and started reading it. And Mm -hmm. as I was reading it, um, as I was reading the Bible, it started rubbing against what I had been raised with, the religion I had been raised with. Um, And, um, you know, that kind of compelled me to, to, to seek further and ask a lot of questions. And there was a, there was a moment during that whole time when um when i realized for the first time that i could never be good enough to please god um and uh that was actually probably the most joyful moment of my life because even though i didn't have the i didn't have the vocabulary to describe it um 
I was experiencing grace for the first time. Uh, and, and I was realizing that all of these things that I was trying to do to, to be right with God or, or, or whatever, it, it wasn't really getting me anywhere. And that freaked me up. But because I was in the military and it's a small community and we were deployed and all of these fun things, and because I was musical, uh, the chaplains almost immediately had me involved in the music ministry as a worship leader. And uh, I am the poster boy for why the Bible warns against uh, new converts in, uh, in in leadership positions or in pastoral positions. Um, it, it it puffed me up. It it, uh, it inflated my ego, and it caused a lot of problems that I didn't even realize until a good fifteen years later. Um, mm-hmm. But th- that'll jump ahead of the story. Well, give it just for times uh, for reference about how long between saying I'm okay, I'm following Jesus to now you're you're serving in this kind of public capacity. I actually think I was serving in the public capacity before oh, I was okay. a Christian. Okay. Yeah, I was already in a in a basically a position of spiritual authority before I was actually a believer. Hmm. Um, although I believed that I was a believer. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so okay, then maybe give us like time between you're reading the Bible and you're you're asking these questions, and all of a sudden people are throwing you in in positions of authority. How long was, oh, what Months. was that? Months. Months. Okay. Months. Yeah. Okay. Months. So I got out of the army. Didn't know what I was going to do. My wife was still in the army, and so I was a I was a, 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 a an army spouse. And um, my first real job after the army was uh, I got hired as a uh, as a music director, as a worship director up at a church in Northern Michigan, and I was on staff there for about two and a half years. And uh, when that drew to a close, uh, rather abruptly, I made a list of places I was never going to live and never going to move. Um, I had every intention of moving to a place where I could go to seminary. I, I, that never actually happened. I never actually went to seminary, but I swore I was never going to live in Hawaii because there wasn't enough land there. And I like road trips. I was never going to live in California because California, <laughs> <laughs> I had no interest in new England and I definitely was not going to live in Utah. Absolutely not going to live in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, we ended up moving back to Texas. Uh, up to uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, a church in, in Grand Prairie, Texas. And um, my third week there, my third week there as a, as a worship and youth pastor, well, let me back up. They hired me as the worship leader. And a week later, uh, a, a, a week later, called me back up and said, well, the youth pastor just resigned. We'll double your salary and you can be the youth pastor too if you want. I said, sure, I need to eat. <laughs> uh, no, no experience with youth ministry. I didn't know what I was doing, you know? Yeah. And on the drive down there, I get a phone call and my first day, like as we're driving into town, my first day as a youth pastor, I got the phone call that one of the youths had just been killed by a drunk driver. Oh my gosh. So that was, brother. that was day one. Day one. <laughs> that was day one. And that was pretty rough. So immediately we're dealing with crisis. Um, but there were, there was another crisis that was brewing, uh, and um, on my third Sunday there, the pastor of this church stood up in front of the congregation and he dismissed all of the all of the visitors. And he said, I'm going to do my best to quote him exactly, but something to the effect of this is my last Sunday. I'm not just quitting this church. I'm quitting ministry. It's your fault. You're horrible people. There are wolves among you and they're your problem now. Wow. So <laughs> that was that was week three, and we had just moved across the country. 
That is crazy. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, so I, I mean, they, I've wanted to say that, but no. I, just, <laughs> I, I, can, I can appreciate that too. Well, what I didn't what I didn't know is he was going through a through, through some mental health issues, and and there were uh, there were other issues behind the scene, right? Um, that contributed to that, but but still, you know, sixty um, percent of the congregation was gone in the first month. Oh yeah. And uh, so me and the associate pastor looked at each other and shrugged and said, I guess we're going to go for this. And he was a seminary student and, you know. I, so you whatever. stayed. We stayed. We stayed. And we stayed there for about uh, for about three years. Wow. And and honestly, I believed in my heart of hearts that that was where I was going to do all of my ministry for the rest of my days. Okay. I believed I was going to grow old and die there. The 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 associate pastor who then became the pastor was discipling me or, or was was starting to disciple me towards being the lead pastor there because he he didn't feel like that was where god was having him long term he was just he he believed that he was a stopgap measure okay but i believed that i was going to be there long term and with the church hurting as it was i started listening to all the sermons i could find all of the reading all the passages and all the books i could to kind of stir up that missionary zeal you know mm-hmm. Yeah, inspire the people to go out. And um, there was one day that I was listening to. I remember who preached the two sermons, and I remember what the two sermons were, but I can't remember who preached which one. So there was a sermon by by David Platt. And there was a sermon by Mark Driscoll, and one was on the the end of uh, Luke chapter nine, and the other was the beginning of Luke chapter ten. So you have the, the the cost of following Jesus, and then you have the harvest is plentiful, workers are few. And I'm sitting there, I'm I'm collecting all the quotes, all the good little zingers, you know, and I'm going to throw those up on social media and, and give them to all the people. And, um, and, 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 and I have to say, this is about two years into being at, at this church. And for whatever reason, I started praying uh, about a year and a half, and I started praying this prayer uh, that when something like, um, Lord, I love where I am. I'm happy where I am. But whatever it is you want me to uh, want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go there. I just need you to tell me. And if you don't tell me anything, I'm just going to rejoice in being here where I am. Yeah. And so for uh, about six months to a year, I was praying that pretty regularly. So I'm going through these, uh, you know, I'm going through these uh, these verses, and I'm I'm typing them up on on the Facebook, you know, and and sending them out to people and trying to. <laughs> And I hear, I I heard a voice and the voice said, go to Provo and plant a church. And I said, no, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, after you've been praying about submitting to God for so long, when he finally speaks, you naturally, you're going to say no. <laughs> I, had seen, I had seen a, I had seen a study at one point um, in those, in the weeks before that, that had listed Provo and Orem as being, as having the lowest percentage of evangelical Christians in the country. And we had already started praying as a congregation for that because, you know, someone needed to do something, right? It's always someone needs to do something about that, right? Gotta do it. But so I knew kind of where Provo was, but so God says go. And I said, no, and I wasn't even going to talk about it. About three days later, my wife, Erin, looks at me and she goes, okay, what's wrong with you? And I just started crying, and I said, I think God wants us to go to Provo. And she goes, where the heck is Provo? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I haven't even looked it up on the map yet. Wow. Um, so she said, well, if you think you heard God's voice and you need to spend some time 
praying and fasting about this and you need to talk to david your pastor and you seek some other godly counsel and uh, have them discern you know yeah take us through a biblical process so I went around and I, at the time I was, I, I, I was, uh, I was repairing windshields. I had a, a windshield franchise, you know, and, and so I was nice. driving around a lot in the car and I was going everywhere and I was basically praying, God, I'm not going to do this, which is always a good way to start a prayer. God, I'm not going to do this, but if you're going to make me do this, you need to change my heart. And if you're not going to change my heart, then you need to take this away from me. Mm. Once again, always good to give God the ultimate. I must say, I like how you're just like listing all these demands. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. So I'm driving around in Grand Prairie, Texas, and I ended up at the intersection of Matthew Road and Polo Road in Grand Prairie, Texas. And there's a four-way stop there. And there's two um, shopping centers on, on opposite corners from each other. And I looked, and there were three church plants between these two. At that intersection. At that one intersection between these two shopping centers, there were three church plants. One block to the north, there were three established churches. Mm. And I lost it. Yeah. I was I was devastated because I was looking around and I saw all of these seminary students coming out of you know Southern Baptist and Southern Baptist, Southwestern Baptist Seminary and Dallas Baptist Seminary and whatever the there's like six, six seminaries in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area or something like that. And um amazingly they're all called to plant churches right there where they are. It's a it's incredible. <laughs> um so my my heart broke for the first time. And when I was researching Provo, I had it was doing the best I could to Google and find churches that were in the area. And there were a number of pastors that I had reached out to, but the most optimistic number I could find at the time was 15 congregations of any kind then i'm i'm even including like yeah. the harry krishnas um 15 non lds congregations right and so what i started doing subconsciously everywhere i was driving is i would start counting the churches that i would pass and i i couldn't go anywhere without passing at least 15 wow so so now now i'm on board i'm telling aaron we're on board let's go let's go let's go and god puts a stop to it won't let me go. And um about three, about three years of struggling. I couldn't get, I couldn't get here. Every time we tried to schedule a, a flight, something would happen, some crisis would go. Every time we looked at moving, some some financial issue, something would stop us. And I started asking the question: did God really say that? Mm. Mm. So in the meantime, we had a very, very clear direction from God to move on from the church that we were at. What I didn't know was all three of the elders resigned on the same Sunday, all three of us. Now, before that sounds terrible, let me tell you this. We continued to struggle from what that pastor had done when he resigned. But we were renting out our children's building to a church plant that was more of a cultural fit for where we were living. We had three white pastors in a predominantly uh, African immigrant community. Right. And you had this African-American pastor who was discipling these people in the community and they're, they were growing and thriving. We resigned, we handed over the keys to the building to them and they continue to thrive to this day. Wow. God moves in interesting ways, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of meandered around a little bit and, and um, I continue to reach out to guys like Ross Anderson and Tom Keeler and 
these 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 guys who have been in Utah ministry for many 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 years, and um, they would answer my questions. You know, I read Ross's books. You know, like uh, oh yeah, understanding your Mormon neighbor was was yeah. a big one. Or uh, uh, I Heart Mormons by uh, by uh, David Rowe. Yep, I've, I've read that. Life changing, utterly life changing, and. And I and I there were a couple of people in the church that we were that we were now attending um, that were former Mormons, and one of them gave me the best missionary advice I ever got. He said, "Doug, don't go until you understand what's beautiful about what's beautiful to them about what they believe." Wow. And and so that that really changed the way I framed you know the LDS doctrine. So. All of this is going on, and I'm I'm going from mentor to mentor, trying to find church to church, just desperate to get here because I just think that the most important thing is, well, I got to be obedient to God's call. I got to get here. He said, go to Provo, and I'm not in Provo. I must be living in absolute disobedience. <laughs> You're laughing because you know the punchline, <laughs> and like I'm just desperate. I'm desperate, and I'm, and I'm and I'm feeling like a failure. But somewhere in there, I heard that. I learned that 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 Mormons don't have paid clergy, and I started asking the question: Well, does that create a stumbling block, hmm. you know, for for them towards towards the gospel? Because you know they, and I heard from some, from enough people to say it can, yeah, sometimes it can. That I said, okay, fine. Well, I need a career then, so I went off and I I learned how to to be an IT uh, guy, a computer guy. Learned a whole new career, got a whole new career started, so that I could come out here. Well, once I did that, then the doors open. I got hired at a company out here in Utah. And we've, we moved. Uh, my wife and I weren't exactly on the same page about when we moved. She was not happy with the timing. I ended up moving out before her by about three months, hmm. which had its pros and its cons. Um, the pros were it freed me up to to explore the 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 city and get to know the people. And and I was living with these these two other single guys and and. They provided me with a ton of insights because one of them was a return missionary from the LDS church, and he was full of wisdom. In fact, my first Sunday there, he goes, uh, my first Sunday there, I went to the grocery store, and um, this is nine years ago almost today, but um, I went to the grocery store, and there were all these college girls standing around because they were just coming back from summer vacation, and they're sitting in the produce aisle, and one of them goes, oh, my God, have you found your missionary yet? And I had no idea what the heck they meant. I was just flabbergasted. I'm like, did, did she lose her missionary? Did she misplace him somewhere? I mean, if it's her <laughs> missionary, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to parse out this language. So I come home and I, I bring it up to this guy, Aaron, who's my roommate. And I say, okay, you got to explain what does she mean by this? And he fell out of his chair laughing. And he said to me, and I can say this without it being derogatory, because he said this, and I'm just repeating. <laughs> he said, Doug, you have to understand that Provo is the Mormon breeding ground. And when she said she was looking for a missionary, she meant she's looking for Prince Charming. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so like those things wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have learned those things, but at the same time, it did put a strain on my marriage. Hmm. She and I were not on the same page. We were on the same page about moving to Provo, but she was finishing up her own, uh, her own schooling. And she was homeschooling our four kids. And in my zeal to jump forward and get here, I caused damage to my relationship with my wife, which was, yeah. you know, my first earthly calling. Yeah. Um, we, we, you know, we recovered. It had some really, um, 
hard conversations once she finally, you know, moved out here. And, and, uh, I'm really thankful that it's worked out. It could have gone really badly. Could have gone. Yeah. Let me interrupt. It could have gone south, bro. So I know this isn't the topic of what we had, we're going to focus on, which as far as mistakes, but obviously that was a mistake. Absolutely. So I I don't want to just gloss over it because that's significant. So someone maybe. Well, not, not only that, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna up the ante on this. Not only not only were we not in agreement, but I framed it as her disobedience. <laughs> I have found women love that. When you oh, they love it so much. <laughs> wow, bro. Okay, wow. So, so it's funny now. It's not it's funny now. It's not funny then. So someone again, think of the guy. It's like feels the same thing that you and I both felt. This drawing. You know, I'm compelled to, I'm supposed to go here. And that zeal to the point of we're going and they've got a family too. And then, so can you just speak to that guy for a minute? I mean, well, I, I will, but, but see, here's the thing where I'm driving this whole story. The punchline is, is that all of these mistakes all root from one issue. They all root from the same issue. And I didn't, and I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys discover it. At the same point in the story. Okay, let's circle. Let's circle back. But it's gonna, but it's the the same issue underlines all of these mistakes. Mm. So we got here. We were attending uh, the, the the big church in town, you know, and helping out where we could. Um, the the one quote unquote mega church, which wouldn't actually technically qualify as yeah, a mega church. It would not. But they're they're amazing. You know, awesome pastors. I love I love those guys. They're great guys. Um, and we were there and I, we had a, a ministry couple that, uh, that we had known in the army and they were going to come out and move out with us. And, and we were going to start a house church. We had this vision of planting a house church that was very focused on, uh, disciple making first and foremost, we were going to be using, um, the discovery Bible study method. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, we, we, um, the pastor who had, uh, the, the pastor of the church that had ultimately sent us and by sent us, I just mean, they prayed us off. Um, he had been discipled by a man named uh, David Watson and um, David Watson was wildly successful um, pastor, equipper and church planter. And um, there's huge, huge missionary movements that, uh, that, that, that are drawn that go back to him. Um, And uh, in fact, he has a book and I I had, I can never remember the name of it. It He has a book called uh, contagious disciple making, where he kind of outlines his journey. Basically like at one point he was a missionary in India and got his entire team killed. And uh, that sent him to a year of depression as I would would expect. And reading nothing but the Bible and outlining everything in the Bible about how Jesus discipled people until he had formed kind of a plan and a method. He's like, well, we're going to try this. And amazingly, it worked. Isn't um, it crazy it, when you just kind of follow that pattern and example? That that's Exactly. So so we were we were excited once, you know, once Ben Indiana moved here, we we hit the ground running. We had the opportunity to use a building. Uh, there was another church in town um, that uh, that offered to let us use the building in the in the evenings. Um, never mind the fact we didn't actually have a congregation, but hey, we got a building, you know. Dude, right? know. Know. The horse. Never I mind know. the fact that I'm thinking about a building, even though I said I wanted to plant a house church. <laughs> right. So I remember you're like listening to your first episode and you're talking about how, you know, you set up all the all, all the pews facing the pulpit, you know, the rows and the rows. Yeah. And, the rows. yeah. and it, it was amazing how quickly I defaulted back to what I knew and was comfortable with, you know? Yep. 
Well, we, you know, we had a good go of it for a while and that we lasted in that building for a little bit. And uh, we, we had these Bible studies going on and, and we, we found, um, uh, found this lady, she was actually our nanny who turned out to be um, what the Bible describes as a person of peace. I don't know if you've covered that. I haven't heard if you've covered that no, or we've not. not covered that yet. No. So in Matthew 10 and in, and in Luke 10, um, Jesus, when he sends out the 72, he, um, he, he gives the disciples instructions. And one of the instructions he says is when you come to a house, say peace be upon this house. And if their peace rests on them, you know, then then great and if not then peace returns to you you move on and you have to, and you shake the dust off your feet but it says if the peace remains on them you stay in that house and don't go from house to house stay there eat their food basically devote yourself to them yeah. and the idea is that this person of peace is a is a key to a community right these are people who who are going to who want to learn they're welcoming the message about jesus but not only that they tend to be gatherers. They tend to gather people to themselves and they want to share it with those around them. And this, this lady, um, I don't think she'll mind me saying her name is Shelby. Her house was always full and it was always full of, I mean, like people would just walk in her front door, but it was always full of people that were not accepted by normal society. And they were the last people you would ever, they would never enter a church. They would never go to a church but they would go to her house and she would share what she learned from us on Sunday. And they would sit around and talk about, and it wasn't perfect. It was really messy. She got a lot of stuff wrong. Um, <laughs> and I tell you, the first time we talked about uh, Jesus saying, hey, Jesus is called to obedience, you know, equating uh, if we love him, then we'll obey him. She got mad and just about kicked me out of her house over that. Mm. <laughs> but but she kept reading and kept studying, you know, and kept came around and realized that that is the call, you know. Um, but we kept going probably two, three years. And eventually, the majority of the people who were coming to our house church moved away. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like, not like a little ways away. I'm saying like, they moved like two, three hours away. You can't really do a house church when someone leaves, lives two, three hours away, right? Yeah. And on the day that we shut down the house church i was crushed mm-hmm. absolutely totally devastated and i couldn't have even tell you why except that i felt like a failure complete and total failure and i started attending um, a church in spanish fork utah which is only about 10 minutes south uh called utah valley church and uh, my first sunday there i was listening to them teach teaching and they were they were basically laying out the same industry philosophy i was going for it immediately felt like home but i just couldn't shake this sorrow in the sense that the sense that i was a failure um and as the weeks went on and i and one of the first things i told pastor matthew uh when i when we got there as i said this is who i am this is what i've done i've been in ministry for this many years i'm not doing anything i just need to sit I need to sit here. And uh, he said, fine, that's cool. Come, don't come, just, just, you know, just rest. And over the weeks, what I discovered was my walk with Jesus was gone. And as I started to diagnose it, I realized that for years, pretty much since I was a baby Christian, my walk with Jesus was defined almost exclusively by what I did for him as a, as um, as a member of the clergy, as a, as a pastor, as a church planter, I looked at the, I looked at this eagerness to get out to Utah 
And at its heart, what it really was, it wasn't just a desire to be obedient. It was this idea that I am a church planter. That is my identity. I am a church planter. And so if I'm not planting churches, then who am I? Yeah. You know? And um, Mm. I had a good year at Utah Valley Church just untangling that mess and coming back to simple principles of my relationship with God is not defined by what I do for God, but what Jesus has already done for me. I had to learn how to read the Bible for myself because for so long, the only real study I would do is if I was studying to teach. You know, we, we feed ourselves so much trying to feed others and it's a feast. I mean, I, I love, I love preaching. I love preparing sermons. I love uh, uh, preparing Bible studies in that stuff because you go so deep in the word, but I had forgotten how to sit and listen. I had forgotten how to pray when it wasn't wrapped in the context of leading prayers. Right. From the stage. Everything Everything in my walk with Jesus was about my ministry. And when I go all the way back to where I was started, which is I was in the ministry even before I was a believer, that set a pattern for me. It not only was it harmful to the church, I think, but it was harmful to me because I never had the opportunity to learn how to walk with Christ directly, just not not worrying about anyone else, just developing that that intimacy. Was never discipled, was never any of that, just thrown into it. I had the right talents, and so they put me yeah. in charge. There you go. Yeah. Wow. So I would say my biggest mistake, all of those mistakes, all of those mistakes, my words to my wife, all of those things come down to my identity was wrapped up in being a pastor, was wrapped up in being a worship leader, was wrapped up in everything except for being called a, 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 a child of God. Mm. And if I could change anything in my approach, that that I think is the fundamental, most basic, simple, but most important thing. Brother, that is a journey. <laughs> I, I mean, it's incredible. And I appreciate you you're walking through it with us and sharing it with us. And it's such a, I mean, that that's not, that's, man, that's not just some flippant mistake. That's this core heart issue that has. Really and I had you. pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor pat me on the back and encourage me forward. You know? And none, none of them ever picked up on, on that, you know. Well, I mean, I've, I've had, but maybe not to the extent you've just described over this years and years and years. But I mean, I've seen that in myself, and I wonder if that's one of the reasons we don't pick up on it. Is it's something we struggle with ourselves? I mean, it's so easy to have your identity tied up in what you do, yeah. ministry or otherwise, right? It's just. You you latch on to something like this is who I am. Um, goodness. Well, and one of and one of the biggest things that really 
helped me to rediscover Christ mm. is the last place you would look for it. Um, and I don't necessarily recommend this to anyone. I'm just saying this is how it happened for me. And that's that I found my people in in music and in being a musician and being a band leader and playing in bars and doing all those things, which is the last place you expect to find your relationship with Jesus, right? <laughs> but but well, one of the things that was happening was my band and I would go on these long road trips. And I would be the only Christian they've ever had a chance to talk to. And I would never bring it up. But they would always inevitably ask me questions. And then we would spend half the road trip sitting there talking about Jesus and the Bible. Because, you know, when you when you surround yourself with non-Christians and you're not a sleazebag, <laughs> that's kind of an important thing to add. <laughs> that's, in, that's a big right? piece of it right there. <laughs> it's an important thing. And you're not a sleazebag. Um, it raises some questions. When I started at my at my job here in Provo, um, working at the help desk at this at this uh, uh, software company, um, <laughs> well, a couple funny stories. But uh, well, for, first, first of all, when I the the week before I started, uh, this other this coworker of mine who started a week earlier than me, uh, he was pulled aside by my manager, and my, my manager said to him, "Okay, we got this guy starting on Monday." He's not Mormon, but that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> like I love that they had to preface that. And then when I got there, I kept looking for the coffee maker, and of course that that wasn't no there. Yeah. So I got myself a K cup, like a little K cup brewer, right? So I could make yeah. coffee in my office. And every time I would make coffee in my office, they would come out and watch me because they'd never seen anyone make coffee before. And I was this oddity. Um, I remember, I remember years ago being at this Acts twenty nine uh, conference, and I don't remember who the speaker was, except that he was this guy. He was a planter in New York City, but he introduced this idea of gospel dissonance. Um, and what he meant by that was that in every culture, there's something in the culture that rubs against the gospel, rubs against either the the uh, the requirements of the gospel for holiness, or they uh, rubs against the the freedom of the gospel. And in this case, of all things, coffee was one of the things that was creating this kind of gospel dissonance, and it was opening up conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but this friend of mine, this this the same guy, he said to me. Uh, over lunch one day, he goes, you know, you are the only person I've ever met that isn't either Mormon or atheist. And that was such a profound, that was such a profound moment for me in realizing the impact that just simply living here was making, because that wasn't a question about me being a pastor. Right. That that had nothing to do with my ministry qualifications. He he still has never come to my church. He's never heard me preach. He's never come to even one of my band gigs. He just knew that I was a Christian. And the power of just being a Christian in the everyday, I have I have had more ministry opportunities through my identity in Christ than my identity in uh, my identity as a pastor. And um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't trade that. And everywhere I go, there's opportunities there for people that that feel like they can't step foot in a church, or they feel hurt by the the majority religion in this area, you know, in some way or another. They're they're, it's not okay. And they'll make barbs at me. I had one guy say to me, I, you know, one of the things I love about you 
is you don't get easily offended. You know, they would he would take shots all the time at God and the Bible and all that stuff. And he kept waiting for me to explode and waiting for Aaron to explode. And we didn't. Hmm. And so just our being Christians was far more effective than anything else we were we were doing. Hold on, I'm jotting some notes here, bro. This is this is good. No, this is good, man. I appreciate your your sharing these stories. Yeah. So let's let's move it towards some uh, some personal application. Okay. You've got you've got guys either already in church planning ministry. They like you and me, eager, zealous to get here. Someone told them no. They they showed up anyway. They're there. They're where they're going. Or you've got guys that are maybe thinking about church planning. It's on their radar. Speak to both those like this this piece about it. Yeah, just address some of these guys. Like, how do we yeah. how do you help them? I, I think prioritizing rest is absolutely the top of it. Um, but specifically prioritizing biblical rest. Like I, I love naps, and I think that sometimes naps are the most spiritual thing you can do. I mean, you look at Elijah and and you know, he wanted he wanted God to kill him, and God's like, Yeah, eat this cake and take a nap, right? <laughs> You're right. I, I think sometimes that's the best thing. <laughs> Uh, I think yeah. it's like it's like the best response you you can have sometimes, but but taking seasons where you're not involved in ministry in long long seasons long enough take take breaks in ministry that are long enough to feel uncomfortable to you and then get past it. Hmm. Um, because because I think that the discomfort comes as you're peeling away this idea that God is relying on me to do the job. Yeah. And no matter how desperate things are, how 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 few the workers are, you know, Jesus says, yeah, the workers are few. But what did he say before that? He said, harvest is plentiful. Right? The harvest is plentiful. There's no problem with the harvest. Right. It doesn't depend on, on us. He calls us to the work. We get to, to participate in it. It's our joy to participate in it. But the, but when we take these long periods of rest, these long periods away from ministry, it resets our perspective. It reset resets our perspective because if your if your perspective on your relationship with Christ is all funneled through your office, you're going to burn out. You're going to hurt people. You're and when it fails, you are going to fa- feel like a failure. Yeah. And and the truth the truth of the matter is is that sometimes we simply don't get to see the fruit. That doesn't mean that there isn't any fruit, right? Some some sometimes it's all delight. So the house church died out, right? That was about six years ago at this point. Um, this past week, I ran into Shelby again. This person of peace, right? She had moved two hours away. She opened up a coffee shop somewhere. Found found out that that she's just living as a Christian. And what's happening? People are gathering to her. Every Sunday morning, she has breakfast at her coffee shop. And people come and they sit around. And she never tries to talk about God, but they always end up talking about God. Why? Because that's who they are. Hmm. It's just it's just coming out of who they are naturally, right? And these are all people that don't feel like they have a place in the local church. And and I was amazed and blown away at this. And she goes, well, I'm just doing what you taught us to do. 
Like it was like nothing to her, right? Uh like of course I would be, of course I would be doing this, right? And and for me, that meant the world because for years I had been looking at this period of time and saying, nothing has come out of this. Mm. This was a waste. And I thank God that he gave me just this small glimpse. You know, her whole family has come to Christ at this point. Amen, man. Like her, her husband, who would sit in the other room and make fun of us when we would read, when we would do Bible studies, and he would crack jokes. He would always be friendly and polite, you know, but he wanted nothing to do with it. He he had like tattoos of Norse gods, and he embraced, you know, the Norse paganism or whatever, you know. And now he's a he's he he's a, a Bible believing, Jesus following. God loving um, servant. And he's the one that's sitting in there half the time telling them stories and openly confessing his sin to the folks so that they can repent of their sins and he discovered Jesus. And all I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. And you know, and 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 I that that hits me on. I'm sorry, I'm a little ADD, so I'm jumping all over the you're, place you're, here. You're but fine. Um years and years and years ago at my first church. I was trying to figure out how to do evangelism, you know, everyone wants to know how to do evangelism. And <laughs> so we would buy all these like Bible studies of how to methods of how to do evangelism. I remember one of them was like the way of the master or something. You remember way of the master. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But they were, but they all came down to these like formulae. Well, you say this and then you say this and you say this and you say this. And um, the longer I've gone on and grown in my faith, what I've discovered is those I've never seen any fruit from those. I mean, some people do praise God, right? I'm, I'm, you know, if it works, if God's using it, praise God, right? All, all shapes and sizes, but consistently, the thing that has made a difference in the people around has been when you are authentically pursuing Jesus, the words that are coming out of your mouth naturally speak Jesus. Mm-hmm. And people hear that and they hear the sincerity and they hear the honesty. It's nothing about the method or the right messaging or the right packaging or, you know, it's, we're not car salesmen. We're disciple makers. And at its, at its core, what's disciple making? What, what is, what is, what is making a disciple? It's that I know one thing that you don't know. And I'm going to teach you that one thing that you don't know so that you can take it and show others. Someone. And then I'm going to learn something else. And then I'll show you that too. You know? When we when we homeschooled, when we used to homeschool our kids, people would say to us all the time, "Well, how I could never, I could never, uh, I could never teach math. It was always math. Math was always the one, right? <laughs> no one wanted to ever teach math." And my sister, who literally wrote a book on homeschooling, um, <laughs> pointed out, "You only have to be one chapter ahead to teach it." And the same thing is true with disciple making. You really only have to be one chapter ahead. Teach what you got. Teach it authentically. Learn to live it and pass it on. You know? That's absolutely right. It's simple. And it's it's powerful and it's beautiful. And um, I mean, our whole thing is Soli Deo Gloria, right? We want to see glory to God alone. We want to see Christ exalted. We it's it's about it's about glorifying him. And I'm actually thankful that God removed me from a position of being a lead pastor because frankly. Number one, I don't think it was good for me. And number two, I don't think I was good at it. 
I don't think that that's the position I was. I don't think that that's how God has built me. Yeah. Um, in a traditional church setting, I would say I'd be a solid number two. You know, I'd be the solid support to the lead pastor. I don't necessarily know that I could embrace that kind of church structure now, personally. But if you look at the whole, um, the whole list of, of leadership in Ephesians, where it says, you know, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for ministry, right? I mean, that's a paradigm shift right there. The idea that our job is not to do everything in ministry. Right. Our job is to equip them to do the ministry, right? Right. But in in that whole flavor, what I've found is consistently where I thrive is in starting new things and teaching people how to lead them and moving on, the apostolic part of it. Um I'm not the world's greatest evangelist. I'm not the great, I'm not a particularly great. I'm good shepherding for short periods of time. You know, I don't have, you know, um, I can, I can teach, but, 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 but where, where I seem to be the most fruitful um, is in leading leaders and helping equip leaders. Um, And I I think that, uh, that in places like, in places like Utah, Ultimately, that's what's that's what's going to change the landscape. Absolutely. Um, uh, there was a, a book that that was handed to me years and years and years ago by K.P. Yohannan uh, called "Revolution and World Missions." Oh, I've you read, read that. Yeah, you read that. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been a, over a decade since I read it, but it introduced me to this idea of the native missionary. Yeah. You know, the idea that a person from the culture is the is is the most likely to be effective in reaching the cult that culture rather than an outsider. So the role of us as outsiders, because I'm an outsider here in Utah, it's not my yeah. culture, not my people. Yeah. yeah. My my role is to equip people who are from this culture to go out and do the work of ministry. And that was a huge paradigm shift. Oh, the, absolutely. That's been that's been one of the biggest points of late that I've been learning and developing other leaders. In fact, I've got three guys, one former Mormon, all three native Utahns. And when we look at our network as a whole, they're the ones that are most fruitful. I mean, making the greatest inroads and seeing the most people come to faith and being the most effective in those conversations. And it's like, they're going to take it further than I ever can. Like there'll be a point where you kind of phase yourself out. Right. Cause it's like, I'm not, I'm not. Oh, God willing. Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope at some point. Yeah, like, I, think, okay, I, I think it's I think it's our job to 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 train our replacements. Yeah, one hundred percent from day one. Our job is to establish replacements for us for ourselves. I know, um, but but again, and right now we're drifting off top. But from the outset, that was not my mentality, and no? it was very much. I used to try to hold it all like I wanted it under my umbrella, and I wanted it under our logo and banner and all that. And it's man, that what an exhausting well, and- way to do ministry. And, and I'm assuming, because this is how I was, so I was, I was exactly the same way. I thought I had to do everything and it had to be perfect. Right. And it had to be clean and it had to be, yep. you know, all the forms had to be correct and they had to have the right doctrine and everything had to be perfect. Uh, right? Man, I know. But that's, you know what it, it, well, it is, but I know I thought, because my identity was tied up in it too. And it's like, if your identity is tied up in it, that you want to maintain control over it and you want it to, because it's like, people are judging me based on this thing. And this is my value and self-worth. And so it's not unrelated, I guess, to, to that experience, but. No, no, no. Well, and I, and I heard, I heard, uh, I don't remember who said it. I heard it so many years ago. I don't remember who said it, but someone once said, you know, it's, 
uh, if you want things to be clean and quiet and orderly, go to a cemetery. But if you want life, go to a nursery. Mm. Yeah. A little, little more chaotic. <laughs> Way more chaotic. Way in the more nursery. chaotic. There's a reason we're always needing volunteers in the nursery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, oh goodness. Good. Well, bro, if let's let's wind this down here. If someone was wanting to connect with you, assuming you want people to be able to connect with you, so uh, where how would you where you push them, or you'd want them to to see where you're at now, anything like that? Um. You know, I, I don't really know how to how to do that for them at this point. Okay. Um, God willing, I'm I'm working on a new music project that uh, that, that God willing they'll be able to reach out uh, in a few months. I'm uh, I'm writing worship songs that are intended for small congregations. Because um, as a, as a worship leader for for many years, I've watched as the trend has gotten more and more towards you know mega churches and stadiums that. It's really hard to sing some of those songs when you're Scale in a small group. Right. Well, when you're a small group, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I want to write theologically rich songs that are easily singable and e- easily reproducible by the church. Uh so I've got I've got two songs fully written at this point, and uh I'm probably gonna release it as get this. This is this ready? Uh, uh, small church worship. It's amazing. I, I can't <laughs> believe no one's used it yet. Earth shattered. Um, but they can reach me through Utah Valley Church, or um, they can, you know, they're 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 welcome to look me up on on Facebook if they want to hear my my original non-Christian music. Uh, I wouldn't say it's unchristian, but it's not. It's you know my 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 own band. I, I perform as the real Doug Lane, um, which all just started as a joke, but you know we've kept it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> Awesome, man. But uh, but yeah, I, I would say you reach out to uh, yeah utahvalley.church and just send them a message and and that'll that'll get to me eventually. You know, yeah. I'd be happy to to meet up with them. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your sharing the story, and I know it's it's been a probably not the where you thought you'd be, and that's exactly how everyone I've had a conversation with is they're not where they thought they'd be when they're started that church planning journey, but. Man, some rich stuff here, man. I appreciate the anecdotes and I appreciate the vulnerability. So thank you so much. If uh, this has been helpful to to you, I do encourage you to share it as well. If you know a church planter, you're connected to a, a church planter, you're part of a church planting team, please pass this around. The, the goal here is just to save you some of that heartache and frustration, your time, your energy, your money, all those things as you're learning to better serve or prepare to serve um, God in the city that he has, has called you to. I would appreciate it if you would uh, subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, encourage others to. You can also leave us a review or a rating. Thank you so much uh, to those of you that have already done that. I see that um, in the analytics here. So thank you guys so much for that. Again, my name is Logan Wolf. I was joined today by my friend, Doug Lane, and this is Everything I Did Wrong as a Church Planter, a million-part series. Thank you.